Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 362. I'm Ryan, aka Agent M, and I'm rolling solo on the intro to this episode because Jamie is at the Javits Center rehearsing because it's New York Comic Con week. Yes, that is our top news because it is happening. Uh, well, now as you're listening, it's happening now, most likely if you're listening to the show right away or has already happened if you're listening to it a little bit later. So we'll hold off on news for our main episode because we will be releasing daily New York Comic Con recaps and updates every day. So there's so much I'll pop in this Comic Con. Look for short bonus drops next couple days. Um, and our interview this week is with superstar Venom artist Young Gun. And all-around wonderful dude, Ryan Stegman. We talk about Ryan's career as well as do some background on Venom, uh, just in case you don't know what's what when it comes to the origins of Marvel's most famous symbiote. Before we get into that titillating interview with Mr. Stegman, I just want to give another shout-out to the Marvel custom comic that we did with Sony in connection with the Venom movie, which is in theaters now. Uh, If you go to your AMC theater uh you may be able to get a physical copy of this venom comic it is still available to read for free digitally but if you want yourself a special print version of it go to your local amc theaters this weekend check it out it's gonna be awesome and thanks to ZipRecruiter, our advertiser this episode you know what's not smart job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes you know what is smart ziprecruiter.com slash twim Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter does not wait for candidates to find you. No, ZipRecruiter finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash TWIM. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-W-I-M. ZipRecruiter.com slash TWIM. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, Just again, one more time. This one's a little truncated. Just really so we can spotlight Mr. Ryan Stegman. He is terrific. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy the chat. It's a little bit about his career, a little bit about Venom. And I'm really excited that he's at the place he's at right now because he's starting to write more, which makes me happy. And he is really one of the greatest artists working in comics right now. And uh, all the accolades he's getting are well deserved. So let's check out that interview right now. All right, the double R Ryan and Ryan Express is here. How you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's do this. First things first, what's your Marvel origin story? How did you first get exposed to Marvel characters, stories, comics, cartoon, whatever it was? How did that happen? Um, well, you know, every kid knows Spider-Man. You see him once and he's burnt into your brain forever because it's such a great design. I don't recall the first time I saw Spider-Man, but I know that I was obsessed with him from a young age. And I had just random comics here and there from 7-Eleven, X-Men, stuff like that. But I I didn't really get heavily into comics until I was like 14 or 15 because then I had access to a comic book store. So it kind of happened a little later for me, but then once I got into it, then my dad was like, oh, well, you know, I have a bunch of comic books. And he went in the attic and pulled out like boxes and boxes. I was like, this would have really come in handy as a kid, you know? Like I would have read all these, but... So it just kind of happened gradually, but 
I was always drawn to comics. I was more into animation when I was younger. I had more access to it, I would say. And then as soon as I saw comics and realized that one person draws, you know, these issues, then I was like sold. That's what I wanted to do, you right. know. What was the animation stuff that you liked as a kid? Oh, Disney. I was I wanted to be a Disney animator. And so I, you know, I can watch most Disney cartoons and say every word, you know. I would just play them on repeat as a kid, but then once I saw that animation looked like a real job where you're like in an office <laughs> and then I saw, you know, Todd McFarlane talking about how he works from home and does whatever. I was like, hmm, that sounded a little bit better. So How's that working out? Yeah, it's working out it's good. Great. Took a little while, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ended uh, up working out. But getting to that point, how did you break into the industry? What is what is that path for you? Um, so I I finished college, got an English degree that I couldn't use if I wanted to. And then I went and lived with my parents and, you know, they knew before I went to college that I wanted to draw comics. And so they were like, well, you should still go to college, get a fallback. And then I got the exact opposite of a fallback, uh, moved in with them, started posting stuff online, doing pages. And people started offering me, you know, like indie stuff, you know, I've got this script. Would you want to work on it? Most of the time it was no, but finally I got one that I thought was good. And it was called Midnight Kiss that Marcosia published, a uh, British publisher. And then from there, I piggybacked that into a um, book called Magician Apprentice through the Dable Brothers, which is another smaller publisher, but they were doing fantasy novel adaptations. Mm-hmm. And right as I started, Marvel bought the Dable Brothers. Yeah, I remember so, we were publishing that stuff for a while. Right. We didn't meet until well after you were doing stuff for us. Right. And uh, Well, I think most people didn't know I was doing stuff <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> yeah, it was you were a little under the radar. Those mm-hmm. books were a little under the radar, but there was it was still cool stuff. Before you got to that point though, did you have any portfolio reviews? Did you like yeah. go through that process? Oh at yeah. All? I mean, the, the, when I say I posted stuff online, what it was was posting it in forums of where there was a mix of professionals and guys trying to make it so like actually it's funny um you have three guys that i came up with on this digital webbing message board uh mahmoud azrar and ryan otley and me we were all on there critiquing helping each other get better and so that was like an interactive way to to improve and then i did go to some conventions and i would get portfolio reviews nick lowe doesn't remember this but i was maybe 20 and I went to a convention. Uh, so it was with... like 81, 82. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very young. But I went to Wizard World Chicago and I stood in this line and Nick must have been brand new. It was when he had long hair. I don't know if you even knew him when he had long hair. I don't remember Nick with long hair. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so you are very old. <laughs> <laughs> I think he literally had just started. Yeah. And so Tom Brevoort's given the portfolio reviews and I'm so excited. I'm like, that's Tom Brevoort, you know, like he's the man. And uh, right when I get up there, they then shuffle him out and they bring in the new guy who he was nervous as we were both nervous. Sweet baby Nick. I right. can picture it, yeah. you know, he's, and he's the nicest guy. Right. And so he didn't want to hurt my feelings, I'm sure. So he, his whole thing was just like, oh, yeah, I could see you doing this someday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that one of the things that helped me was I started Magician Apprentice and uh Mark Panici, I met him at a show and he gave me a portfolio review. And I think just getting out in front of him, he realized that I was young at that time and uh, that I was eager to improve. And so I think that helped, you know, a lot. 
was there a piece of advice that you can recall any of the editors giving you specifically that um, you really took or were you just like yeah I'm, I'm better than this oh no i no i took everything to heart i would Sorry. i would you know write down the stuff and i was just really determined in that sense so like I never felt bad when they would critique me. I would be like, okay, well, I can figure that out, you know. So Mark gave me a lot of really good advice. Mark, he used to be an artist also, so he had quite a few nuggets of information. I can't remember which ones were during portfolio reviews versus just him him and I talking back and forth through email while I was working with him. So That's so invaluable. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so if if any of the listeners or viewers actually get to that point where they get a portfolio review, Take that stuff to heart. Listen oh, yeah. to that advice. Yeah, you, you, I think that the the best thing you can do is is write it down, because I I do portfolio reviews now. It shows people will bring up a portfolio, and it happens all the time where somebody brings you one. You're like, that's pretty good. Here's the things you need to fix, and then they bring you their portfolio, and they didn't do any of it. And then I'm just like, well, I guess we're not doing this anymore. So yeah, take it to heart. Try to improve those things. Bring samples again. You know, that's pretty much how you do it. Um, one of the things we talk about a bunch on Marvel's Pull List, the weekly show that's about every book that comes out, mm. is the different disciplines and also the artists who pencil, ink, color, the whole spectrum of, of their work. What is your favorite part of the process? I mean, penciling. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, there, there are some <laughs> people who might like, you know, the sort of going in and really defining stuff, you know, with the inking part of it. Oh, or right. someone who wants to lay it with loose pencils and really bring it out with color. So yeah, it, it may be different from person to person. No, I, well, I, I, I just recently gave up the inking to uh, JP Mayer and it's worked out amazingly because he inks me the way that I would ink myself if I wasn't lazy. So <laughs> it like looks exactly like what I intend to do, but wouldn't do it myself because it's just too tedious. So the reason I like comics and in drawing comics is I like storytelling. So I love doing layouts. You know, a lot of guys like to do covers or pinup type stuff. Like mostly I just want to do paneled story pages and pencil them. And now that I've got a team on my side that I feel like everybody's hitting on all cylinders, I just penciling is, is plenty for me. Yeah. How do you communicate with JP then to get to that point? Because you know, you've been inked by multiple people mm. over the years. I mean, an inker is so important in, mm -hmm. in the process and helping make sure that the pencilers' work remains distinctly their own right. but also pops. What is the relationship like with JP? Well, so Ricky Purden, um, he and I were talking about inkers. And he then said, well, I've got this guy and he doesn't – he inks artists that don't do the type of thing that you do – but he sent me some samples because he wanted to show what type of stuff he would like to do. And they look like they might be what you enjoy. So I was like, all right, well, let's have him do a couple sample pages. He did two, and we were just like, wow, perfect. So I didn't really have to direct him in any way. I mean, we communicate, but it's just me saying, great job. You did it again, you know. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that's got to help, I'm sure, because with Venom, it feels very much like a cohesive team mm -hmm. you and donnie and then you know spring out beyond that but what is the creative flow like specifically between you and donnie well it's a lot of texting and us calling each other bro because for some reason we think that's funny uh but yeah you're neither of you are bro yes yeah. it's usually like hey bro and then you say what you got to say and then at the end you add another bro which i don't even know how that developed but 
Yeah, we text a lot. We we talk on the phone, you know, usually at least once a week. But I mean, he's great to talk to because he's just like a fountain of ideas. It, it's nonstop. So I got to witness him the other day. He kind of was like working a story out on the phone with me. And he just like laid it all out. And it was like, that's done. Like, that's fully it. I was like, Donnie, is, is it really this easy for you? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, I want your job. <laughs> but I mean, he's great at it. So he, he worked hard to get there. Yeah. Right. Donnie's also a very visual writer. Absolutely. Like he thinks of visuals for characters right. and stuff like that. When you're designing, say, the look of some of the things that you guys are putting together in Venom, how much of that is the collaborative process? Or how, are you just coming and be like, this is what I'm I'm thinking about? I mean, most of the time it's just me going because I don't have time enough to slow down and, and design something so it's just kind of like well i'll just start drawing it and see what happens but like null we really went over quite a bit because we wanted to have something visually distinctive and everything uh like the spiral faced venom that one his description made enough sense to me that i mean i just went from there and we were all on board right away i just sent that page in and everybody's like yep that's what we're looking for so nice. yeah he's he's extremely visual there's a there's definitely a difference you it makes it so much more fun when they have a visual in mind and then, you know, it clicks with you right away. Yeah. It's obviously that you guys are, are having a lot of fun. Uh, but I also want to talk about some of the writing that you're doing because mm-hmm. you've, you've been writing more of late. Um, the, was the first story that you wrote for Marvel the ISO and Flint story? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was in uh, Uncanny and Humans number zero. Right. Uh, how did that writing gig come about? I just begged. <laughs> I just said, hey, I want to do some writing stuff. You know, I I threw out there that I have an English degree. I don't know if that had any. Oh, well. They're like, well, he can string words together, apparently. He has to have been able to write papers. But Nick was the one that, Nick Lowe, who we mentioned before, uh, he's the one that gave me that job. And then, you know, we kind of discussed it for a while. And then that possibility came up. And then Renew Your Vows, we had some space that, because Jerry had left the book, I was able to pick that up and run with it. So hoping to do more of it. Yeah. Has focusing on the script side of comic creation changed the way you sort of approach pencils or art at all? Yeah. Like um, I'm more aware of what needs to be in the panels because the best way to tell a story is the simplest way usually. And so when you've written some of it, you realize how much you really need in a panel to make the story work. And so... I've been able to kind of trim the fat a little bit when I'm working off somebody else's script. Yeah. I imagine that once you start on one path, it it constantly evolves the other. Absolutely. For sure. Speaking of writing, Mm -hmm. we've got a This Week in Marvel Steg exclusive. Yeah. Coin that one for you. We've got an announcement for a new Venom project that you, Ryan Stegman, are writing. Mm -hmm. Give us the details, please. All right, so we've been doing these uh, satellite sort of Venom one-shots that go along with the book that Donnie and I have been doing. And, you know, he's been writing them, but he was gracious enough to uh, step aside so that I could I could take over writing one of them. Like I said, we're on the same page. We I know the whole Venom story that he wants to tell. We've discussed this story in particular. It's Venom Unleashed. That's the name of the book. Yeah, <laughs> kind of just sound like I'm, it's Venom Unleashed. <laughs> uh, so that'll be the name of the book. And it has to do with, people have seen the issue nine cover uh, that features a Venom pit bull looking dog creature. And that's probably all I can say. I did the cover for it yesterday. You guys can't see it yet. <laughs> um, 
it's another opportunity to write and try something new. I mean, I'll still be drawing the, the main Venom series. It'll be awesome. Yeah. I'm very excited. Venom Unleashed comes out in January. Uh, more details, more art, more information as we get closer to that one. Mm -hmm. um, going back to, to you, thinking about sort of your influences. Mm -hmm. uh, who are your most influential creators in your mind and or your favorites even? Uh, well, you know, it starts with Todd McFarlane for me because that was, we talked about my origin in the comic book world. It was largely in part because of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. I always wanted to be a writer artist also because that's what he did. So he's had a huge impact on my art. He's just had a huge impact on my life in general now because I basically tried to pattern myself after him and it's sort of working. Spaghetti webbing, man. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks great. Absolutely. It looks, it's cool. So he's a huge influence on me. Then there's, you know, the whole, all the image guys. I mean, I was such an image kid because that, you know, who wasn't at that time? Yeah. You know, I love like Arthur Adams. I love any artist. The way I describe it is usually if they're cartoony, but then they render it realistically. That's my that's my wheelhouse. Can you so, explain that a little bit more? So like uh, they'll take a, a drawing that is semi cartoony and then they add texture and spot blacks and a render to it that makes it look even though it's a cartoon, it also has weight and sort of a, a reality to it. A cartoon, like if you're watching a TV cartoon, for example, those are just outlines with no like real line weight to them or mm -hmm. anything. There's texture, but it's usually painted. But the comic book artists that I like, they take that to another level. It's, it would be impossible to animate it, essentially. Sure. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I can picture the opening of Venom mm -hmm. and the way you're describing it and, you know, with the Grendel and, and the door, like there's a weight to the impact right. or the, the, but the, the faces double... are stretching everywhere and their eyes are yeah. huge. Yeah. Uh, the double page spread that was in the most recent issue of Venom that came out, I think it was six. The sound effect is in it, but like the impact of that wall breaking right. is, is you can feel it, right. but yeah, you can't like to animate that is you also feel like you could touch it. That, yeah. Those are the two things that I want. I want movement and I want to feel like you can actually feel it. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Now, which character that you have not drawn in a comic do you want to draw for a story? Oh man. Well, cause I figure you probably do a bunch of commissions over time right. and people request all kinds of stuff, but specifically for Marvel work. I've drawn, um, some pages with Thor on them, but I haven't done Thor. So I haven't drawn Thor in action. I did. It was in Inhumans uh, or Inhuman where I drew him, in, but he was walking through like a fair. You know, I got to do the, the panel in Venom where Thor is in there. And it was like one of my favorite drawings I've ever done. And sort of like a privilege type feeling when you're doing it. You're like, oh, my God, it's Thor. But I haven't said my piece with Thor yet, I feel like. So, okay. Okay, yeah, that's cool. something I would like to do. Looking forward to that. All right. So uh, I figured as we're here, we're talking. I also wanted to go through a little bit of Venom because Venom between your book, uh, a lot of we have other series. Uh, and, and of course, just Venom is in the pop consciousness. Wanted to give our, our listeners a little bit background on Venom. Maybe they, they know a little bit about the character. We're not going to go a full history because it is wild right but i will want to round back in on what you guys are developing in the venom book because i think that it's really fascinating stuff to shape the entire mythos mm -hmm. of who and what venom is uh but it really starts 
with the alien costume mm-hmm. uh, that Spidey wears, the, the black costume. And the wild thing that I, I remember and then forget and then remember again is that the costume first appears in Amazing Spider-Man 252, which takes place after the events of Secret Wars, the original mm-hmm. story, but came out the same month as the first issue of Secret Wars. Uh, in Spidey, he appears with Doc Connors. He comes out in Central Park, followed by the Avengers. He's like, wow, that was some adventure we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. But that is May 1984, and it's the same month that Secret Wars starts. We get a few months of Spidey. He's got the costume. We've got a sense of its weird sinisterness, mm-hmm. which I, I love here and there. And there's, uh, I want to give a shout-out to the Amazing Spider-Man annual that came out this week. It's by Saladin Ahmed and Gary Brown because they detail a lot of that stuff. Right. But – we then go to Amazing Spider-Man 258, and that's when Spidey goes to the Fantastic Four because he's like, I feel strange. Right. Something's up, and and he wants to learn about the costume. Were you, do you, were you, did you read these after the fact? I oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah I never – yeah, I didn't read, start reading these till like, recently. Yeah, research. Makes yeah. sense. And so he, he freaks out. He learns that it's a living creature. I love the scenes like, ah, it's, it's like gripping me tighter. Right. He's like really losing it. That is also the issue where he becomes Amazing Bagman. So that Spidey has this – wonderful costume of he's got a fantastic four suit on but they didn't have a mask for him so he puts on a paper bag they poke the holes out and the my favorite detail about it is the fantastic four costume have stirrups right on the feet so make sure it doesn't you know ride up i guess right i guess yeah but it was just a, it was a like it was a cool artistic detail so we got amazing Bagman, and that's november 1984 december we get secret wars number eight and the story of actually spider-man getting the costume mm-hmm. i'm just fascinated by the timelines of how all this stuff works especially now because you hear fans all the time like well this book is doing this and this right. is that how does this affect that mm-hmm. what timeline does that come on uh from a creator standpoint i'm sure you probably i don't know how that even would affect you like trying to put the pieces together right well that's one of my favorite things that, about what we are doing on venom is there's a lot of confusing things like that you know which donnie being the world's biggest venom fan has taken all the confusing things and he's starting to explain them do you remember the first time you saw the black costume not venom but the the black costume on spider I, w- I can't say when but i know that it was i thought it was awesome yeah it is one of the coolest designs in comics well it, it's like a testament to the original design because you can mess with it in so many ways and it's still awesome. Like we did Scarlet Spider with the red costume with the black mask and the red eyes and it's just like you can just do anything to it and it looks amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So in, in story time, uh, Symbiote escapes from Fantastic Four. He gets back to Peter. Eventually we get the church bell, that big moment uh, mm-hmm. that everybody knows so well. Uh, the suit, he finds Eddie Brock. And they later bond due to their shared emotions against Spidey and Peter and it's all those those things. And what's neat is Venom was teased out from like 1986 to 1988. Two years of teasing mm-hmm. the character. Right. I Probably even, couldn't get away with that we now. We could never get away with that now. <laughs> right. It's fascinating. We got glimpses about Venom, you know, like I think he pushes Spider-Man in front of a train at right. one point. Like little bits and pieces across Spidey books. But we don't actually see Venom until the last page of uh, Amazing Spider-Man 299. Right. And that page, man, I was re-looking at that today. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is there. Right. Like everything is there. He's hulking. He's big. The teeth and everything. Right. What, do, you, do you remember when you first saw Todd McFarlane's Venom? Uh, 
I do remember the first time I saw Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. So this was post, because mm. it was just the Spider-Man series. Yeah. This was post his run on Amazing. So I remember I was in Pennsylvania in my friend's uh, bedroom. We were drawing comics. He was drawing his character weapons. Lord, I was drawing Spirit <laughs> of the Night or whatever my character was. <laughs> and I remember flipping through one and being like, who's this? Who drew this? You know, so. Yeah. No, it's neat. And then issue 300 of Amazing Spider-Man, big throwdown, Spidey and Venom. Everybody thinks about that one, but it's actually like one story with Venom and then he's gone for a year, Mm -hmm. which is, again, it's another fascinating thing thinking about the way we do comics nowadays. Yeah, Uh, We should have teased out Null for three years. (laughs) Yeah. Just to beat it. Just imagine. (laughs) Just imagine. Uh, But how much has Todd McFarlane's Venom influenced your work and take on the character? How about thinking about Mark Bagley, Ron Uh Lim? Well, they all all have uh, because I think that there's been a tendency in recent years, especially, I mean, I even did this. I did Venom Inc. That was the first Venom work I was doing and I, and I made him like big and hulking, you know, like when Joe Mad did the ultimate stuff, I was like, that looks amazing, you know. But then I read this very human story that Donnie had written and I felt like he shouldn't be the Hulk. He should be a human with, the symbiote attached to him so uh, then i was looking back at mcfarlane he you know i mean he, he eddie brock's a big bodybuilder type guy but they didn't make him larger than a normal human i mean he's larger because it's cartoony but yeah and then one of the things that donnie kept saying to me was uh give him that thin bagley waist you know where it comes back yeah i mean bagley would almost go you know it, it was kind of crazy but i i started to take that into heart and i think it does like kind of add you know, a look to Venom. So I, I make him with that thin waist, big torso, big legs and everything. And then also with McFarlane, I mean, I like the tongue, but he does, he wasn't doing like the super crazy long one. I'm not doing the tongue where it's like, it's retractable or something. I'm doing, it's a pretty fixed size. <laughs> but I, I it was a conscious effort on my part to not make it, the, the story is so tight and there's so much humanity in it that I didn't want him to be, I want him to be a monster. I want him to be scary, but I don't want him to be like irredeemably gross. Yeah. You know he doesn't I mean? have the green slime. He like has I, a little bit, but not, it's not it, so much that it's disgusting. Yeah. It, it's not <laughs> like Eric Larson would draw him with like the crazy tongue and right. all that stuff, which right. was a really cool look, but it was very different. When he's, when he's a villain in your book, that makes sense to me. Mm. When he's coming in to be scary and you don't want the reader to sympathize with him. But yeah. when you want the reader to sympathize with him, I kind of feel like you want to take a little easier on him yeah venom goes away for a little bit comes back in like amazing spider-man 315 and 317 which is tremendous story it's really good Mm -hmm. you get a lot more of eddie as venom which i dig and like he goes and he finds out where aunt may lives Mm -hmm. and like there's some really interesting psychological stuff i love that story what is your favorite venom story that you didn't work on oh um the uh lethal protector i don't know what it is about that story it's kind of maybe it hit me at the right time i don't know but yeah, I love the the underground city and you know the fact that they took him then and said, hey, he can also be kind of heroic. You know, Eddie Brock isn't just a monster. You know, that's kind of like where that started, where before he was kind of set up to be like almost like a Green Goblin type. But then they kind of reversed it and said, hey, you know, he could use this for good. Mm. And then so then you added a dimension to the character that I think is he wants to be good, but he can't. 
all the time. Yeah. Part of what I think is, is so great is what you're talking about, that, that twisted morality. He's very much like you. You know, he's, 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 <laughs> he's got a, his demons. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, we talked about Venom Lethal Protector. I remember the craze around Venom, but really around Carnage mm-hmm. uh, in 1992 and, and then Venom's book in 93. Like it felt like he was everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. Uh, since those early days, Symbiote has bonded with Matt Gargan, uh, the Scorpion Lee Price and the Big Bad in Venom Inc., Flash Thompson. Plus, there's been a few other folks in, in smaller ways. Outside of Eddie, who do you like wearing that Venom symbiote? Uh, well, I like when Peter wears it. <laughs> I think that's always an interesting, you know, when it's happened in the past, it, it's yeah. cool. I was really into Agent Venom. I just loved that series. That was around the time, was I, I think that was around the time I was doing Superior Spider-Man. So I was working with Steve, you know, the editor on the book at the time and keeping up on it religiously. And uh, I loved everything about it. I thought that it was a great story, great art, yeah, all of it. Wrapping up, what do you think at its core makes Eddie Brock and the symbiote together so interesting? Well, I mean, we started to touch on it earlier, just that they, Eddie is, he's corrupted. Deep down, he's probably a, a good dude, but he makes bad decisions. You know, and Venom almost in a way can be sort of a physical manifestation of his demons. So I just kind of think that that's the interesting, you know, that's the intrigue about him is that he's he's going to keep trashing his own life. You know, whereas Spider-Man, everything's always trashing Peter Parker's life, right? But Eddie, in the end, is always trashing his own life. And then also the relationship between them is sort of, it's <laughs> it's so strange because it's sort of like sweet sometimes, but then it's creepy. It, there's so so many aspects to it. So people get like, you know, after issue six, I won't uh, give away anything, but people were writing us on Twitter and saying that we made them like really, really sad. And, you know, they feel s- bad for the symbiote and everything. And it's like to be able to make people feel for this like amorphous alien <laughs> goo. It's just really interesting. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, you guys are really reshaping what we know about Venom. Very exciting. You guys have to check out Venom by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman and the whole team. You guys are doing phenomenal work. I'm very excited. Very glad to have you all doing this. It's well, thank stuff. you. Yeah. We're glad to do it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Big thanks once again to rugged Ryan Stegman for being here and for talking Venom and talking his career and talking his big muscles and talking, you know, all the times he saved children from burning buildings and all those amazing things he's done. He is a hero to all of us. Hope you guys enjoy our little drops throughout New York Comic Con. Let us know. Use hashtag This Week in Marvel on Twitter. You can tweet uh, all, all your comments there. You can also share your thoughts on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel, or you can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. Another episode coming next week. See you then. I'm Ryan, and this is Marvel, your universe.